0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now most of us drive cars, and we know how to drive them. We stick the key in the ignition, and we turn it, it turns it on, and we put it in drive, and it goes. But beyond that, we don't really know a lot about what goes on underneath the hood, at least not many of us. Some may know that we have to change the oil regularly, we have to check the water, the windshield wiper fluid, but if it's acting up, we're kind of at a loss as to what to do. So we take it to an auto mechanic, and an auto mechanic knows a ton more about cars than we do, so even by listening to it, he can pinpoint the problem most of the time. Now, that's a very few amongst us that can do that, Steve. You can, of course, because you've taken them apart, and you grind cams, and you work with them all the time. And that's a good thing. But the same can be said of our spiritual life. We know the basics. We come to church. We say our prayers. We receive Holy Communion, but beyond that, it can be kind of a mystery. And if we look at today's Gospel, we see the Apostles declaring their ignorance. Why couldn't we do this, Lord? I thought all we had to do was, you know, say prayers and it would happen. But Christ pointed out that only by prayers and fasting does this happen. So today we celebrate the feast of St. John of the Ladder, the fourth Sunday of Lent. Next week we'll celebrate St. Mary of Egypt. Both of these two saints are examples to us of how holiness works. St. John wrote a book about it. He calls it the Ladder of Divine Ascent. Now, being an ambitious freshman at seminary, Lent came along and I'd heard about this book and I decided I was going to tackle the ladder of the divine ascent. 30 days, Lent was 40, that'd give me enough time and have it mastered. After the first week, I gave up. I started reading it and decided, I can't do any of this. What can I do? I decided I'd read it anyway. So I, I went ahead and I read it and in the end I decided still I couldn't do any of it but it was very interesting and, and I co-authored it with lots of notes in the margins. Well, I went back and read it years later and I still decided I can't do much of it. But it does talk to us about the soul, how the soul works, just the way a mechanic understands a car, a spiritual father can diagnose and tell you where you need tweaking where you need input how to overcome your spiritual challenges to grow into the image and likeness of god now if you're talking to people that are not orthodox you need to know how to explain this to them because if you start talking about them to them about being holy and being perfect it will sound a lot like works like you're doing works, trying to earn God's grace. But you can quote them Scripture, Ephesians 4.13 and 1 Peter one fifteen, And Paul is telling us in Ephesians, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. And again, in Peter, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Now, a lot of people don't know that that's the reason we're put here on earth, and few less even know how to go about it, what to do. So this is a guide for you. And you're not going to master it in one day. You're not going to master it in 20 years. It's an introduction to begin to look at the steps of spiritual perfection. What does it take to become holy? Some of the questions, why do we need to grow spiritually? Where does it talk about growing spiritually in the Bible? I gave you two references and there are more. How do we know what it takes to grow spiritually? Well, they say that unless you know it, you can't tell anybody else. It's not something you can read in a book. What St. John of Climacus has written in the book does not come out of the Bible, per se. It's not contrary to the Bible, but what it does is comes out of experience of living the Christian life. And they'll also ask you the role of the spiritual father. What are, they, what are they supposed to do? What role do they play? How are we to relate to them? And can we experience God directly? And we know that we can through his energies, but not of his essence. And then a question as they're beginning to talk to you and you're beginning to explain this cosmic struggle going on inside of every person. Is, is the bad? Is the body bad? These are all questions that we have to answer if we're going to grow up and mature in our faith. So we turn to the ladder of divine ascent, and what do we find out? Well, we find out that John is writing mainly for monastics. But just because he's writing for monks, he's not excluding the rest of us. We're all included because the beginning and the end of The spiritual life is to imitate Christ. And we're all called to do that. But St. John does tell us that the body is our enemy. It is also our friend, but it is also our enemy. Now I know we come into church every week, we desire intimate communion with God that transcends the mundane, the everyday But what does it transcend? It transcends the physical. It takes us to a spiritual place. So we are created both body and soul. We know that the soul is immortal. We also know that the body is going to die. But the body can also be your friend. The body participates in salvation, as we're doing now in this period known as Great Lent. We are fasting during Great Lent. Is that to say that food is bad? No, food's not bad. We need food. We need food to survive. What we're trying to do is quiet down the demands of the body so that, the spirit, that, so that it can serve the spirit. So, someone reading this work of St. John Callimachus, The Ladder of Divine Ascent, may think that it's a negative work, that he is against the body. But he is not against the body. In fact, it's a very positive work. The early stages are a lot of struggle. It takes vigilance, it takes determination, it takes sacrifice. But as we get through these early stages, we arrive at stages where God shamelessly pours His grace in upon us as it carries us to the last and final step. So if we have a misunderstanding of the nature of the spiritual man, we'll think that we're trying to destroy the body. But in reality, what we are trying to do is transform the body. He tells us that the body is both our adversary and our friend. It is marred by the fall, yet remains God's creation. Destined for glory. So, he says, treat your body always as an enemy, for the flesh is an ungrateful and treacherous friend. The more you look after it, the more it hurts you. So, we have to realize that the body is going to be a challenge for us. But in fact, sin didn't begin with the body, it began with the spirit, because Satan does not have a body, he was a spiritual creature and he is the one that fell first. So sin actually began in the spirit, but the body participates now. So the purpose of the spiritual life is not so much as to overcome the body as it is to transform it. Now, we don't always imagine that that is possible to that it is possible to attain complete freedom from the senses and obtain serenity among every calumny and insult. But it can happen if we are willing to listen. And John gives us specific instructions. And it's not that we start at the beginning and go straight through to the end. We'll make some progress and even as we progress more the early stages are even being perfected. So we're continually growing. And each person meanders and takes a different path. But because there is a progression, and because we're all human beings that are fallen, there is a general picture of what it takes to achieve holiness. The monk, he writes, after all, finds himself in an earthly and defiled body, but pushes himself into the rank of status of the incorporeal, the bodiless. Withdrawal from the world is a willing hatred of all that is materially prized, a denial of nature for the sake of what is above nature. Not saying that physical and material is bad, but trying to really elevate the soul and the spirit. So, as I read this, I say, that is a struggle. That is hard. I don't know how that it is done. But To show that it can be done, St. John points out the example of the gift of tears. There are three types of tears. There's the type of tears at sorrow for loss, at sorrow when we get hurt physically. Those are called the contra-nature tears. Then there are the natural tears when we are sad for committing sins, for hurting other people and we repent with tears. Those are the natural tears. Then there are the supernatural tears, and those are tears of joy, tears that flow out of us because of being in God's presence and being filled with light. So tears reflect man's fallen state and express his mourning from sin. Yet there is more to them than that. Tears can be sweet as well as bitter, Tears that begin by being painful become, in course of time, painless. Tears of fear develop into tears of love. Tears, in his view, even when spiritual, are still manifested visibly and physically. By the gift of tears, he means something specific and concrete, Spiritual tears are not merely an event within the soul, but form part of the spiritualization of the body and its physical senses. So that the body is beginning to participate in holy things through the gift of tears. And that is an example of the physical participating in the spiritual. And then he uses a big word to explain what that is. He says, that is the early eschaton. Eschaton, eschatology, means end things, how things will be in end times. We get a foretaste of that when our body participates in holiness. So, I do have 31 steps listed on here. We haven't talked about any of them. We've kind of set up what the struggle is and what the goal is. Next week we'll talk more about the particulars of spiritual growth, what we have to overcome first before we can move along the ladder of divine ascent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.